0: Sydney Youth Orchestras acknowledge the Gadigal, Wangal and Baramadigal people of the Darug and Eora Nations, the traditional custodians of the land on which we perform and rehearse, and their connections to land, water and community. We, the young musicians of SYO, come together from the lands of many nations and peoples. We pay our respects to Elders past and present. The original storytellers of these lands where we learn and create music today. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and honour the continuation of the oldest music practice in the world. If you could hear the orchestra of the future, what would it sound like?
1: We see the world around us, but we very much hear the world around
0: us. Welcome to Tempo. Proudly presented by Sydney Youth Orchestras. It was my
1: whole social life as well, you know, with S.Y.O. on the weekends as I was a teenager and everything.
0: Tempo speaks with some of the biggest names in orchestral music and explores their journey from youth orchestra to world stage. The violin is just the vehicle to get the music out there because people are impacted by that. And it features questions from us. With your host and renowned Australian conductor and SYO alumni, Matthew Currie. Hello,
1: I'm Matthew Currie, and this is Tempo. Today I'm joined by a classical musician with a pop star following is seriously brilliant and seriously funny and fabulously photogenic it requires no introduction, well, very little. My guest today is the great Ray. Chad, that is. Hi, Ray. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Where are you at the moment?
0: I'm at my apartment in Philadelphia right now. It's nice to be having a lull between concerts, but as it is, I'm also catching up, trying to create content while I'm in one place for a little while, just catch up on learning new repertoire, all the fun stuff.
1: Let's jump in and I'm going to start at the beginning. Can you tell us what your earliest musical memory is?
0: One of my fondest memories was just sitting on the floor of my teacher's uh, house, like just a bunch of us. We did Suzuki Method and just playing for each other, you know, and every week we did this. And then my first violin teacher, she was just so generous. She would open up her house to all the kids. We'd be there I would try and learn a new piece every week because, you know, that's the sort of show-off I am. Um, And, uh, yeah, just try and um, make new friends and there would be break time as well. That was really fun because all the parents would bring a plate of something and then, oh, that was was my favourite part of the day. That was my early start to music and I think one of the biggest reasons why I fell in love with it.
1: You started pretty young, right? Were you four, is that right?
0: Yeah, I was four years old, started on a one- quarter violin i believe my sister was she also started around the same age she had a an even smaller one and one eighth because she was a you know a little bit smaller i, I was i was already pretty bulky when i was uh, <laughs> four years old <laughs> but uh yeah that was uh that was a tiny violin yeah back then so do
1: you remember starting or do you is re- it been so long and you were so young that it seems to have already been there
0: well, you know, I I mean I definitely remember those those sessions that uh were on the weekends at my teacher's place. So I I remember having a lot of stickers on my fingerboard, you know, where to place your fingers and and all the stickers on the bow, the bow division stuff. I remember distinctly, you know, playing all the twinkle twinkle variations. It's all there.
1: Is it true you first so, I attempted to play a fiddle with chopsticks.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was before I had the violin. I oh, was I uh, just messing around. I had a, a toy guitar. that was a little plastic thing and, and had rainbows on it. I think I used it as a – it was either using it as a violin or banging on it with a chopstick to become a – you know, have it as a percussion instrument. Could have gone either way. I think my parents ended up getting me the violin because they didn't want to – Yeah, it was the lesser of two evils. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm sort of wondering if you were three or four, were you already eating with chopsticks?
0: Yeah, that that's uh, that's the way it goes, you know. I think mostly hands. Hands are the assist, right? Um, chopsticks yeah, okay. are the, what you're supposed to do, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think if when I was three or four, I was, you know, struggling with a spork, I couldn't have got around chopsticks. Oh,
0: that's true, that's true. I remember the spork fondly. The plastic spork was, was a great asset.
1: You started young. When do you think you sort of realized that you were serious about it?
0: It was pretty soon that I started to realize that you know, this is before, maybe not saying serious, but like, I I started to realize that this was something that I was good at, right? Mm. I would show up to these weekend sessions every week and and just like I said earlier, I was able to play a new piece. You know, it might have been just a New twinkle, twinkle variation in the beginning, but then slowly it was like a new piece in book one, book two, book three of Suzuki method. It was something where I started to realize I'm like learning faster than the other kids, right? And there's something going on here. And then, and you know, of course, all the all the teachers and 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 parents, they were oh, you're so talented, right? Like the, that's the word that was thrown around a lot, and it was very encouraging. That persistent encouragement added on to my delight and love for, for music. And there wasn't a need to be serious, I think, until much later because it was just so much fun.
1: You started out, you did the Suzuki, which of course is quite a communal thing, which you get the social aspect of it, which is Absolutely. great. Fun. What was your first orchestral experience? I know you played with QIO and I, I've seen you've been very generous to some of your QIO um, teachers. I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
0: Youth orchestra has always been played a pretty major role. Uh, I started with JSE, actually, Junior Strings Ensemble, when I was, I think, around seven or eight years old. It was so much fun. That was with Chen Yang. Oh, I still remember him fondly, the conductor. He just threw so much energy at us, you know. We were difficult lot you want to have fun as well so you just want to be you you want to chat to your stand partners as much as you want to play music you want to do everything (laughs) all at once you just want to be everywhere and it's just like amazing energy that that everyone is sharing so i did that for a couple of years i also did qyo as well the older orchestra that was a lot of fun as well i did that for two years it was great just to be able to you know socialize with other kids who at right, your age. Cause I think that that's the thing, right? Like at school, you've got your mates that are your friends, but like they're usually not musicians as well. And music is one of those things that you start at a very young age. It's, it's a little bit like similar to being a gymnast. You know, there's a lot of training and. And there's a certain level of seriousness, that strict regimen that is involved. Therefore, you're spending time mostly, and it's even worse, right? Because at least with gymnastics, it's like you're with a team. With music, you're sort of, you're practicing by yourself. So, there's like, there's a certain amount of like, oh, you're by yourself, loneliness. And other kids don't, they're your friends, but they don't really get it, right? Especially, well, that's at least that's what it feels like from- a young age when you're like eight years old. So, I think that, that youth orchestra was a great way to disperse that feeling of loneliness and be like, oh, wow, there are these other kids who, you know, we're all, even if it's just for a few hours every week, we all come together. It was like a continuation of what I had experienced earlier with Suzuki Method. That was something that was very important to have in my life and to to nurture that, you know, enjoyment of music. I know that's
1: still a big issue for you. And I'm going to come a little bit later to um, your latest project, Tonic. I was thinking, you know, you've started fiddle, all right? You've gone through the fiddle lessons. You've flown through Suzuki. You've done the junior strings. You've done QYO. I know you played solo with QSO, Queensland Symphony, when you were about eight. You went off to Curtis at 15. You won Queen Elizabeth, menu and competition. So what I really want to know is at what point did you realise that you weren't just a talented musician, but you're actually seriously funny?
0: <laughs> oh, that's always been with me. I think that I've always been a bit of uh, like a bit of a, a cheeky person. Especially my teachers, they had to deal with a lot. <laughs> and also, I have this. No, I wouldn't say it's a rebellious streak, but I'm certainly not afraid. To, uh, sort of be myself. And that, that was also a bit of a problem. It's not a problem anymore. And I think the world has changed a lot. But when you're eight years old and you're just voicing your opinions and you're, and, and you know, to, to people who are a lot older than you, it can sometimes got in the way a bit. People for the most part were, saw it as a, in good humor and were very encouraging as well. But yeah, that, <laughs> that was a lot of what I think. Was just different about me, you know. There was so much seriousness as you, you know, that 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 word that's like, oh yeah, you, you got to be serious, and 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 I just thought like the whole time I was like, even as I went to the states and studied in a very serious conservatory. This is, we're talking about Curtis Institute of Music here, where a place where it's like you know, 160 students max. Everyone's on scholarship. Everyone's just trying to get in. I didn't even get in the first time. I, it took me the second time. Flew all the way there back, you know, twice from Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and you know you're you're in this like the most serious place you could ever be, and I just thought the whole time I was just like, wow, through all the competitions, all the stuff, you know. I think that people just need to loosen, you know, lighten up a bit, and that's what I promised myself that I would bring to classical music, and done in a way that was like, of course, there's always been people like Victor Borg and and you know Men and Jew and and now Tousset that have brought a lot of uh, delight to audiences and uh, around the world.
1: What is it about the prison boys? Uh- fiddlers that make <laughs> such <laughs> yeah.
0: brilliant comedy. Oh, I think we just like relate to people. I think there's this like yearning in our hearts to be, to relate and connect with others. I think that's what comedy is, you know, and humor, yeah. a good humor. It's just like, it is born from, you know, a serious environment. That's where comedy is like the best, mm-hmm. right? It's like you've got the serious structure around it and then suddenly there's this person who who makes a sound or says something that is a little bit like, Inappropriate or like against the trend, against the norm, and suddenly that's delight, right, and it lights up the room, and I think that that's um yeah that's what we all share in common, this desire to be that light
1: it's sort of funny that I first came across Ray Chen when I saw a silly, bloody video, and I thought that's brilliant. I laughed my head off, and you know a few months later something else popped and went, oh, that guy could really play <laughs> um, I love that you you're really. Well, you do take it seriously, but you seriously enjoy yourself and you share that. The joie de vivre is is obvious, but one of the things I see when I've seen you on stage and occasionally we cross paths and I see your videos or whatever, I sometimes wonder, you always seem to be in such a sunny mood. I'm wondering, what's your pet peeve? What gets Ray Chen in a red-hot rage?
0: (laughs) Gosh, that's a good question. That's that's actually a question I'm not asked very often. I think the thing that really ticks me off, or there are a few things. One of them is when there's bullying going on that that's just like I get so charged at that. I wouldn't say I was bullied but you know there's different ways of expressing even bullying has its like excuses right or oh, it's putting him in this place. That really grates at me. So um that's one thing another thing is probably uh if I feel like there's there's time being wasted because I feel like as a person, you know, there's so many things that we can do right in this world we can learn so many new things spend time just being inspired inspiring others there's there's a lot right there's a lot to get into and not so much time not enough time to get into all of it right and so anytime where i feel like i'm i mean i'm not really i'm um, answering the reason why for others I'm wasting other people's time or I'm, my time's being wasted, then suddenly it's just like, it, it's, yeah, it's the worst feeling. I would say that rather than being angry, I'm just disappointed, you know, that that's like the feeling.
1: You certainly seem to be squeezing a bit in, but I'm going to ask you now about, well, life before and after you won the, those two big competitions, Queen Elizabeth and the men one. I imagine your life was very different before and afterwards. Am I wrong or right in thinking that? How did it change those two big wins?
0: Oh, yeah, there was certainly a huge difference. I remember I was just a student. I was just like, actually, I was just in a very, very sort of like in the background student because, you know, granted, okay, probably from other people's perspective, they see it a different way. But now that, you know, I'm, you know, successful and I've had a lot of uh, achievements, sort of all the numbers indicate, you know, all the success. Going from Australia and and even that, riding a success of like, I just won the National Youth Concerto Competition. You know, in my mind, it, it's all about perspective, right? Everyone's a star from their hometown or even country, going to a place like Curtis. I was no exception. But you know, there's. <laughs> I think that there's a, you know, that when we compare the the star player from Brisbane to the star player from Chicago or yep. New York or Berlin, suddenly it's like, yeah, there's there's still differences there. I remember. That it was just like one day, you know, I, for for years, you know, because I won the menu in first when I was end of the third year, going into the fourth year, and I was um I was genuinely liked by people, but there's this sort of like at Curtis, there's this other invisible ranking system that like people put you in, and and you're sort of like there, and 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 the best way of knowing whether or not you're popular in that invisible ranking system is how many people are willing to play ask you to play chamber music with them. Right. It's like, it's kind of like at a normal school, I guess, uh, how many dates you get asked on, you know, how popular you are for us. It's like, how many, how many chamber music groups do you get asked to play in? Um, and (laughs) I just to put things into context, I, uh, for that year, I struggled so hard in finding a group that, um, I almost failed chamber music. So really, I, I was, I had to be, um, put in a group by the admin, which is, which never happens. Right. It's for people who like me would, like degenerates at the uh, oh. bottom of the rung. that was what happened. It was going from that to suddenly winning the menu in and being on people's radar in the beginning. It was like still a lot of disbelief from other students. I remember hearing, you know stuff like oh well if he won i should have gone right <laughs> it's like stuff like, <laughs> like that. that and God. um you know then of course their uh, you know, life changed a bit but not that much it was just like still okay he's he must be formidable then you know this is f- from the lens of a small bubble of a school right like yeah. we're talking yeah. like this is this is not i think how real life goes but, but how real life does relate to this is that like then after i won the queen elizabeth then suddenly it was just like wow it was, it was a huge, huge difference that the respect that came suddenly from day zero to day one, it was right. like, wow. I felt like <laughs> that was a lesson that I'll never forget. And that's why, you know, all the sayings are, oh, don't forget your roots, don't forget where you came from. Like, the, the, the difference was so jarring for me, it was actually kind of quite uncomfortable. The world is so fake. It's so, like, not what I thought it was, you know? And, like, why would people suddenly it'd be so nice to me? I was actually, I was enjoying it, but at, also at the same time, because, I, you know, I'd never been so popular in my life. And then suddenly, but the, at the same time, I was just like, there was this... uh yeah, realists like sort of like ah, oh, done it <laughs> like kind on of a moment. But that's also what spurred me to become who I am and to make a decision. I was like, "You know what? I'm always going to try and be positive. I'm always going to try and help people. I can always learn from everybody even if I don't think that there's got to be something here." From then on, I was I've set foot on that path and continued and tried or well, tried to try tried, tried to stay true to that.
1: It seems like you're doing well. You're on the right track, but it must have put an enormous amount of wind in your sails
0: before you
1: grabbed those two big prizes. What did you have in mind? Did you want to be a soloist was Was that the plan A? Was there Was there a plan B and C? What
0: did you? Imagine? Oh yeah, I mean, like that. <laughs> you can never. You can. I mean, I wouldn't say being a soloist was even plan A. That's like kind of plan wished. That's the wish. You know, plan. Right. I was. Being practical, I was like, okay. I was studying actually already with Norman Carroll. He was the former concertmaster of the Philadelphia Orchestra, and he wasn't on the faculty. But the school would pay for lessons if you like for a certain set of teachers, and and he was one of them. I would take the train out to where he lived and and study with him because I wanted to learn how to audition. I studied also took some lessons with Alex Carr. He's in Dallas now. Um, yeah, uh, concertmaster there. Also former student of Aaron Roseanne, my teacher as well. Yeah, I was taking a lot of uh, concert master lessons and uh, basically preparing I had my excerpt book for orchestral auditions. And so, that that was the path that I was thinking. I was also thinking of going to get my master's in music afterwards, after Curtis, what life would be like. So, yeah, it was, I, I had a solid plan or what i thought was a solid plan and then uh yeah you know, and, and then things changed
1: <laughs> you get fantastic attention for wit and invention of your posts but actually I, I see that you do a lot of videos and posts that are more philosophical you talk about your motivation and how other people might think of theirs you share your practice sessions you've done things like created play with ray and now you've created uh, the practice app tonic Oh, you've even done the very unoriginal thing of um, interviewing your musical friends. What I'm getting at is just, you have an excellent, busy career, so why why do all this extra stuff?
0: That was one of the things where I had the same question as well. That was a really good question. Like, Why why do I feel like it's not enough? Why do I feel like after all these years, the decades of practicing that this instrument, the violin, why, and, and and achieving, getting what I always wanted, which is to play – you know, on stage for people? Why does it feel like there could be more? And and I started doing all these other things, as you mentioned, you know, the social media, all this other stuff, and helping music education, helping people. You know, most people want to take you know, a few weeks to, I don't know, go to help um, UNICEF or stuff like that. I, instead, I, I took two weeks off to go to Venezuela to help with El Sistema and donate my time there It was and, and being inspired. I mean, all this stuff i was I was continuously being inspired I was also benefiting from it as well, but it was just i was just wasn't it wasn't really the answer you know until the pandemic and then I had some time to really think about it <laughs> the pandemic i've already this is already like ten years over ten years into doing all this extra stuff right, yeah. and not really knowing why I was doing it, <laughs> but still doing it because it felt right to me and um I was just well, like amazing. okay what what's going on
1: yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was fine. But I I was just like, why am I doing this? And this is, you know, this is before the latest project. This is before Tonic, by the way. So I was just like, and then I had the answer. It clicked. It was just like, okay. I asked myself, what is it that I truly want to do? Is it like to be the best musician? Like, is that even possible? Because that was always like sort of like a vague goal that I had ever since I was a kid. I want to be the best violinist in the world, you know, that, and I hadn't updated my goals, you know, since I was like eight years old, right? It was still the same thing. You just, you just don't have much time to think about that, to really reflect. And after reflecting, I realized, actually, I realized I know what I want to do. I want to be able to give positive impact. I want to make a positive impact to people. And suddenly, I was relieved because it was like, oh my gosh, like for, for ages, I was just like thinking, violin was was that that was like the thing i wanted to do music i wanted to like but now i realized music was just a vehicle it was just the vehicle the violin was just the vehicle to get you know the the music out there because people are impacted by that positively right and it all made sense suddenly i wasn't like the juice right i was just the straw i'm <laughs> getting the juice to the people if i was going to be a straw I'm gonna be the best straw right like, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm the juice like that's Beethoven those that're that, the composers right the are people you one of those straws really, in a
1: treble clef shape is that what you're talking about
0: I am the straw that is like the uh, you know pipeline that I want to be like multiple like a sewerage. you know <laughs> that's actually terrible let's talk about the Sahara pipeline isn't it? yeah the the best straw that like you know, it goes from, like, the eternal boba machine out to the people that distributes <laughs> all the bubble tea out there. You know, that's what well, I I'm be. loving and, this
1: metaphor. Uh, we,
0: I can't get enough of it. <laughs> and then I realized that, okay, well, violin is one way to do it. And it, and I've been gifted. I've been gifted. I've been able to, like, I've, I've got this amazing talent. I should use it to help be a net positive, create positive impact to this, to this world. And so using violin. I'm going to, you know, and it all clicked and it suddenly made sense that I was doing social media, that I was like, you know, doing all uh, Natonic, you know, helping others practice, motivating people through music education. It all, it all made sense now. And now I feel like, okay, I'm unapologetically more myself now. And that's such a, a freeing, a, 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 like a feeling of freedom yeah, that I I didn't have in the in the previous ten years in my first right. ten years, and then, so I'm you know looking forward, uh, you know, finally finally uh, at the age of you know I was like probably yeah you know, just beginning of my thirties when I when I finally learned who I. Who I was the right old <laughs> well, yeah. age of 30. Well, but I'm now I'm 34, so you know, it's, things are things are even more, all right, it's all downhill, more secure, more you know, more confirmed. Yeah, good. I feel like, yeah, you're just like getting more experience. <laughs> I, I have
1: to ask you about tonic now, of course. So, this, I think, this is probably. Your biggest project. I know we talked about it about a year ago and it was sort of at the testing stage. It was called, had the fantastic name of Pocken Conservatoire, then, which I liked, but you've named it Tonic, which I also totally get. Tell us all about it.
0: It all started with everything that we've been talking about, right? Like in music, practice, how you learn, the environment that you grew up in. And when it comes down to it, I think the truth is that some people have a better environment a better practice environment, a better learning environment than others, right? People have access to more things than other people. And that is a huge, huge uh, factor in not even just like becoming a professional musician or professional, I think it's, it's a huge factor in just being able to enjoy something like music so so that was the thing it's like having access to youth orchestra programs having access to these music festivals or or conservatories music schools the music environment itself otherwise you're just alone sure you can with you know a little bit of financial you know uh finances you could purchase an instrument and now you know you could even learn from youtube and stuff but then even then you don't have access to the music environment right. and you're practicing yeah. by yourself. It is lonely. You know, I've, I know that like having practiced 10,000 hours, you know, they, they say 10,000 hours to mastery, you know, like more than 10,000 hours now. It's, yeah. it's, it is, most of those hours have been in like solitary confinement, right? You just, yeah. you and, and that's how it should be, they say, you know, it should be like that with you and the composer and you're just like, you're almost like in prayer. Yeah. But at the end of the day you're not just practicing for yourself because you eventually want to share that right you want to share your artistry what you've practiced you're eventually going to perform right in front of people and yet most people are like oh I, I i was so nervous playing for people i was so you know all of the practice it's like it went out the window and you know what the traditional method has been is to say Oh well, then you got to prepare two hundred percent. So one hundred percent goes out the window. Right. You know that's yeah. a, a common saying. That yeah. that's just like just put your head more into a more focused. They say or like bulletproof yourself more so mm-hmm. that you can just play. That ends up becoming a very performative like way of well performing, I guess. Yeah. Like which yeah. for some people like is is fine, but I think true artistry lies in being able to have connection with your audience and and being able to share people people can feel that
1: no, absolutely i think it's interesting the whole planet did this extraordinary experiment where for the better part of three years we weren't experiencing live music or very little of it in my experiences i was in london mostly back and forth to australia but mostly in london i remember approaching a christmas and hearing some singers socially distanced singing outside with one viola player <laughs> and i hadn't heard live music but i don't know how long and they weren't any good And I was in tears in about five seconds. I didn't, when you take it away, you realize it's a class A drug. And for those of us, I mean, that was me listening. And then me as a conductor and you as a performer, it was just the most extraordinary education to go, oh yeah, it doesn't mean a thing if the audience isn't there. That's what I felt.
0: So that's the thing. Most people don't have access to an audience either. Through this app, it's giving people all that access to all those things and it's free, right? And, And you just, you go on, you can open a practice room and you can stream your practice. And I know it's a novel. It's like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to stream my practicing? It's so private. It's not ready yet. It's a work in progress. But that's the thing. If you were to stream your practicing on YouTube live or like Facebook live or Instagram live, there are many platforms out there where you can stream live. The context isn't there. Once you're in a practice room, suddenly it's like, oh, you wouldn't be judged for that. But if you were in live streaming a performance suddenly it's like that's different it's the context is different so imagine like for us at tonic it's like imagine the long row of practice rooms and everyone there's practicing everyone understands that you go in yeah some people do give feedback a lot of people do give feedback to each other to help each other out they ask questions and that's a big part of the community what the community does but i think that even bigger part is just giving each other support just encouraging each other being like yeah this is i mean a lot of people will always be like oh so great thanks for sharing your practice you'll hear phrases like happy practicing you know wishing each other you know great like uh it's just great positive how often are you on it almost every day both as a practicer and as a listener it's just something that and then there's also the social aspect it's like going to the gym with your friends it's nothing more motivating than like seeing other people that uh practice if you need to practice you're like oh yeah. should i practice and yeah. you're like okay i'll just you open the app and you just see all these people practicing right and yeah. then And it's all happening live, you know, and then you go in and then there's interaction and then you're like, Oh man. Okay. This is so good. Now I'm inspired. I'm inspired to and motivated to go practice. And then there's other features on the app as well. Right. Like we help. It's all, it's all about like helping trying to motivate you, trying to make practicing easier. There's like, it's like a bit like. A fitness app. It counts your hours. You get you get experience points as well. It's yeah. a bit like a game. We use like game like fun methods, uh, events as well, online events where you can win prizes even. And so, so all of this is to again, it's just like getting that that practice uh, spirit going.
1: Well, I know you've got a, a professional interest in gaming. I'm, I'm not going to ask you about that because I'm not the person to to ask. I don't know enough about it, so I'm going to. one of those things I'm going to skip for some other time. You are inspiring a lot of musicians, but I was wondering, when when you were younger, were there people that really shone for you, whether in Brizzy or Curtis or via CD or DVDs or videos then, I get.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it was um, a lot of people were big inspirations. I mean, not all the musicians, right? I think one of the earliest uh, inspiring figures for me was Yo-Yo Ma. I mean, just the amount of also like the broad... Sort of stance that he took from using music, right, like to so many different worlds, right, from music, like dance to different forms of like music as well. Just being so at the time, people thought, oh, it's so experimental, and like it just felt like, wow, he's so free. It feels like he's so free. He's he's got all these amazing skills as a as a classically trained cellist, and he's using those and bringing them that high quality to other forms and 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 that's the thing right like i think that that's there's always the careful balance it's like when you hear the word crossover crossover artist, usually there's a little bit of a stereotype like a a a negative stereotype right right, that oftentimes classical musicians or people in the classical music industry will will assert on on such artists and it's because um and it's usually like oh the quality isn't there that's why they had to go into that. But there's bad classical musicians as well, right? It it doesn't mean that automatically just because you're a classical musician, you're good at what you do. There's plenty of terrible classical musicians out there and people like feel what they can't comment on that. They can't say it's bad. Just like this, you know, so, so that's, um, it's funny. It's hilarious actually as a a professional (laughs) out there who's like, wow, wow, there's a lot of judgment thrown around for, for absolutely no reason.
1: Do you feel that there are people, you know, with what you're doing, because you're so open, that people look at it as though with suspicion, do you think, or do you think, or was there a time?
0: I think that not anymore. I think that you know, in the beginning, uh, maybe with social media, there was a little bit of, because I started so early, right? I started like 2013, like 14, creating- What was your first post? I started posting like ages before that, like 2009. 2008 or whatever, whenever. Actually, I started using Facebook before it was even available to people outside of universities in the States, right? So, so I wasn't like, but I wouldn't count that as, I mean, content creation. That's different from posting stuff. And I think that that's an important difference to talk about because most people don't have to think about content creation. They're just thinking about posting. As these tools become more and more available, like TikTok and just even like editing software, it's, it, it becomes, let's say you put together a compilation of your trip to Hawaii. That's suddenly, and then, and then the software does that for you with, and puts in a bit, a little bit of, you know, background music. Suddenly now that's, that's posting, but that's also content creation as well. But when I refer to, when I started on social media, I refer to like content creation. That was early, right? The funny videos. I remember I did like the one, the first ones I did was like me waking up in the morning and. It was essentially what you might post on Instagram stories, but Instagram stories didn't exist, you know? And Instagram video didn't even exist. Instagram was still only like-
1: I uh, think I know. Do you wake up, greet the world and fall straight back to sleep? Is that the one?
0: That's right. That's the one. I say, I'm so ready to practice.
1: My favorite is the horror staccato.
0: Ah, the Horace staccato, yes. That's yeah. the uh, where I put the bow between my legs and uh, exactly. you know, use the violin. Yeah, play the violin.
1: We're coming to the end, really. I know you've done, we've talked a little bit at the cross, so you've done some stuff with um, Sting. Is it is it Chow, the, the Chinese artist that you did a big album with, uh, well, big track yeah, with? Yeah, Jay Chow, yeah. And I've heard with The Knights, you've done some sort of stuff that's more, I think. Slavic, yes. Slavic, okay. I'm interested, to actually, how do you feel once you do those sort of things that are sort of bit off the beaten track or outside of the classical, the obvious classical world? I mean, is it a fun adjunct? Or do you feel doing that? You come back to, you know, maybe a, you're doing Slavic stuff. Do you see the Brahms a little bit more differently? Do you think there's some, some spice from those things that then come back into your other more traditional repertoire?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything's a, an inspiration, right? I think whether it be playing different styles of music to. Like you could, I could be playing tango. I could be playing, you know, anime or film score or Brahms, Mozart. I mean, the difference between all of these is as big of the difference between Mozart and Bach or Mozart and Tchaikovsky. And so, I just see it the same way that if I were to like the same time, I was, I was like, how do I play this properly in the style of this? Yeah. You know, if I'm going to play bluegrass, it's like, I'm going to try and- how I'm gonna learn that if I'm gonna try and play, you know, even like pop violin, like I should learn there is a distinct way of doing it that yeah. is is different, right? And it works because oh, uh, the acoustics, because you're mic'd and you need to do this, and and you know have to layer, it and they're gonna mix it this way, and and stuff like that. There's um quality for everything, and so you know that's the approach that I tend to take is like trying to do it to the best of my abilities, and then on top of that, how can I bring A new thing to that, something from all the other stuff. So it goes both ways. Yeah. Like it's like I'm I'm being inspired to bring something from this world into this new world and vice versa.
1: Right, it's almost time for us to wrap up, which means it's time for what we call our final bar. And this is where I ask you a few quick questions that have come to me from members of the Sydney Youth Orchestra. Chloe, who's a fiddler, says, How do I overcome my fears of performance? And have a talent like you too.
0: Ah, thank you, Chloe. The best way to overcome performance anxiety is to practice performing in front of people. So, you know, that's probably the reason why most people have performance anxieties because they're practicing by themselves. So, if you haven't already, give Tonic a try or uh, go on the streets and busk either way. uh, You know, make sure that you're playing in front of people, play in front of your friends if you can, um, and try to set up mock performances before the the your your real performance so to speak these are all great ways to get used to that feeling of playing in front of people
1: claire who plays cello asks what is in your opinion the most life-changing piece you've ever played
0: oh that's a good question claire i would say that bach Chaconne is probably the most life-changing piece that's probably the one that if i had a desert island piece. I would piece. I would pick that one.
1: I know there's a fast question. Is that the piece that you you recorded some Bach during COVID? You set up a whole studio. And- oh yes,
0: I did record some Bach, but I did. I had already recorded the Chaconne Okay. Previously.
1: Okay. All right. So this is from Isaac, who asks who plays trombone and organ. Um, who's your favorite composer and why?
0: Ooh, favorite composer. That's very very difficult. I would say that these days. That's 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 very difficult because because if you truly love music it's like if you truly love ice cream you would have multiple flavors right but i can say that i do love the flavor profile in composers of uh like the romantic era the the ones who wear their heart on the sleeve that era of composers like when you get into it, mendelssohn tchaikovsky sibelius all all that brahms where you get to really just really milk the emotions of the piece that that's really that's what i really like catherine
1: who plays violin asks what is your favorite string on the violin and what are your favorite strings to use
0: my favorite string on the violin mm, that is a good question i've never been asked that 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 is a good question the favorite string well it's either the e or the g i would say because the a string is like you know it's always very nice as well it's open d is very melancholic. G is like very powerful and e is also very brilliant so it's hard to only pick out one because they each have their different uh roles and the second part of the question is i recently started using a new set of strings from Tomastic called dynamo and they are really great and um i at first i thought it was like oh dynamo like you know, they're going to be so powerful, which they are. But um it's actually, in fact, the dynamic range that you get. And so, it's got many, many layers of colors that I previously was, you know, like it was kind of more on-off in comparison, the sound. They're a bit expensive, but um, they, they last a long time. So, they're quite good. Two more.
1: Esther, who plays the cello, says,
0: or asks, what do you think of Tchaikovsky 5? Oh, love it. That's like one of the most exciting, the last movement, especially, you know, uh, to play in the orchestra and to listen. I mean, if you're out there, the last time I heard it live was with Chicago Symphony. Oh, my gosh. It was so brilliant. It was so good. Yeah. Love it. I want to
1: know what Esther thinks of Chuck 5. That's, um, that's, that's <laughs> a leading question, isn't it? It says more about Esther than you, Exactly. <laughs> All right, Esther. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to find you when I'm there. And the last question is from Sophia, who's a violinist, who asks, are you
0: coming to SYO? Oh, Sophia, I think that if um, I get a personal invitation while I'm there in Sydney, I think that that may be a possibility. (laughs) Waiting on the invitation. Right.
1: I'm going to say thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish we had another six hours because you're uh, supersonically fascinating and fun to talk to. So, I'm going to wrap up for the listeners and say that's all we've got time for today. If you enjoy this conversation, Please share it, rate it, write a review, or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thanks so much. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tempo, proudly presented by Sydney Youth Orchestras. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to click follow. For more information about SYO, visit syo.com.au.